This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, so welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. My name is Matteo Rizzi. I'm the executive producer of the show. This is show number 205 and is the mythical news from the fintech front. I'm here with Yas and Helen, and uh, it's good to have you guys. So let's start with the um, traditional minute of introduction about yourself. Helen, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Hi, Matthew. It's uh, such a pleasure being here with you. Uh, I am Helen Yu, founder of Taigang Advisory Corp, host of CXO Spice, and co-founder of Dark Crypto Night, a closed-loop network cybersecurity solution. As a board director and advisor, I bring a unique perspective to the boardroom, combining the tech thought leadership, cybersecurity risk management, go-to-market strategy, and customer experience to deliver thoughtful questions and insights that help inform decisions. So I made actually quite a few pivots with my career. The first pivot was pivoting from a bean counter to a bean grower was a transition from an accountant financial analyst to a chief growth officer. The second pivot was from a business leader to a solution architect. And the third pivot was from a chief customer officer to an entrepreneur. The most recent pivot was becoming a creator and brand ambassador. So fintech and financial services have been a constant throughout my career, from covering financial services vertical uh, during my Oracle days to designing, building financial planning applications for fortune companies and deploying AI at global banks. Great. So that's why you're here, because your your broad experience is uh, exactly what we need to comment what's happening on, on fintech. Yes, welcome to Breaking Banks. Thanks, Matteo. Uh, yeah, I have to follow that. So I guess I guess <laughs> I guess I'll go. Yes. So my name is Jasha. Um, less pivots than Helen. More little evolutionary steps. I worked in financial services uh, in a few different guises for about 15, 16 years now. Um, and started off as a as an engineer, um, and moved my way up the ranks into into senior uh, product leadership roles. So I've helped build and stand up propositions across financial services for about for about fifteen years. But the last the last five to six years has been focused purely on you know going solo. So I'm I'm now a product consultant strategist, and I help with new product development, help with overarching product strategy, and I essentially just help small small to medium-sized fintechs, growing fintechs, large financial institutes, build products better. That's that's kind of my little made-up little tagline. So yeah, that's that's what I do. And I also write a newsletter every every couple of weeks analyzing uh, analyzing a, a fintech trend or topic from a from very much a product perspective. So using that customer view and understanding product strategy and product development constraints. 
um, and kind of explaining why someone would develop something in a certain way, why a certain product makes sense, um, product A makes sense over product B. Um, yeah, so that's that's me. Great. So let's dive in, guys. Actually, in the meantime, since we decided what to talk about, I think there are actually a couple of even more interesting news that sort of came up. But let's see if we have time to cover to cover them all. Um, let's start with uh, um, the rumors that Alphabet is investing in Monzo. You know, last year at Web Summit, I was on stage with uh, TS, TS Anil, the CEO of uh, Monzo, good friend of mine, and uh, you know, it was in in the in the preparation of of that interview, I was actually quite surprised on how you know he managed to like uh, as a, as a non-founder, but uh, you know, a, a, as a CEO that was put on the job by the board to actually turn around the band quite uh, significantly, you know, and. Uh, and now you know the. Uh, I'm curious to to see your view on uh, why, like uh, the um, Alphabet would make such a such a move, and what can mean from uh, from Monzo. You know, the, the Jazz. This is in your courtyard. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the investment side is probably not in my courtyard, but if if you look at if you look at a lot of the the way large organization startups uh, end up getting a bit bigger and getting to scale and, and floating this is kind of the this is kind of the track you know you you have a a founder who's very much a startup founder they do five six years and then they bring in a, a you know what's the word seasoned ceo seasoned um technology leader seasoned payments fintech leader um and then that's that's kind of a prerequisite to you know it's a signal to say there's clearly a five-year track here. Like once Annie, once Anna was in, everyone was saying the same thing, right? You know, they have a season CEO in, and then they're going to probably get to profitability within the next couple of years. You know, they've they've already signaled the last uh, early in the year they've had month on month profitability. Yes, most of that's due to lending, but that that focus on lending and launching more lending products, overdrafts, um, credit card, Monzo Flex, uh, things like that has clearly is clearly the, those those signals that say they're gonna they're gonna list at some point and i usually say things i usually say there's no smoke without fire so if there's rumors people are saying rumors i would say how did that rumor get out conveniently there's a rumor and there's very specific numbers involved <laughs> 300 million investment and it's like oh that's a that's a really specific rumor to to all of a sudden come out so they, no they but what, what is what, well. what i'm curious and you know ellen i want to like uh, uh, you know the figure out what you think as well is why monzo you know because uh well, you know i would have gone into like uh, because monzo is very like uk focused right mm -hmm. or uh, i would have maybe i would have gone into wise you know because it's yeah. you know european you know i don't know what do you guys think i i think the monzo the disruptive model right they focus on innovation product development and customer engagement most importantly customer engagement and customers what they focus on that to me is fascinating to see uh really it's like that so critical, not enough of companies to focus on customers this as a startup, as you know, or early stage. It's a testament to the strides they've made in reshaping modern banking. And then to me, that's I wouldn't be surprised, regardless of the location, if 
You know, how many companies talk about customers these days? I mean, we talk about PLG, the product that grows all the time, but not enough of customer focus. Same with Apple, right? What, what made the difference is that customer-centric point of view that made the difference, in my opinion. Actually, it's funny, Helen, that you mentioned Apple because uh, that's the other news that is not in the list uh, <laughs> that I want to mention is that, you know, have, have you seen that uh, like uh, uh, Goldman Sachs uh, is uh, basically pulling off, you know, from uh, the credit uh, product that they built together with uh, with Apple? I don't know if you've seen, is, has any of you seen the news? Uh, I have not followed that one Um that's but it's it's fine it's it's fine you know that's that's the beauty of the of the how do you say it that's the beauty of the you know talking live or something right and 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 sort of getting uh, uh getting fresher news than the one we mm-hmm. we we prepared and you know it it seems like there is almost you know you talked about pivoting earlier on on your own career uh, Helen uh it seems like there are, there are a couple of very big projects uh, that are sort of uh, um, either reorient, reorienting themselves or being pulled off, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, and this is part of what we want to talk about, you know, Mint, you know, mm-hmm. into it, uh, like uh, pulling the plug on, on Mint and say, hey, guys, go to Credit Karma. I I remember, I wasn't aware of that. So you guys mentioned that to me. Uh and Mint was uh, one of the poster childs that we all mentioned, you know, at the beginning, 10 years ago, when we talked about the beginning of the of the fintech. What happened? Ellen, that's more on, on your courtyard, on the other side of the yeah, ocean. Yeah, you know, 3.6 million users have, you know, will be affected, right? We're talking about at least minimum. And then the challenge I see with Mint is they can't create a joint account. You think about you can only if if you you was you know let's say you and your partner have a joint account, you have to create individual account. That's the challenge. It's always tough when a beloved service like Mint decides to shut down. Obviously, it's just unsettling. So, but you know it's interesting because the closure of Mint is a reminder of ever changing landscape landscape of tech right we it's crucial for us to adapt to the new 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 way of doing things it's also a reminder it's important for us to have backups for financial management uh it's also a great opportunity for users to reassess their need and explore alternate options as a matter of fact i dig in i said you know what other apps what other things that tools you can use there are quite a few. I, I find seven of them. There's you need a budget. There's a personal capital, pocket guard, every dollar, or um, you know, M- MVE lobes. I have not used or or good budget. I have not used any of those. But I'm gonna just. There you go. There you go, Ellen. You know. So it, let <laughs> let me do let me do a little set, test here. You know. So as any of you used any PFM in your life. I haven't. I haven't. And uh, so I'm not saying that PFM has always been a solution looking for a problem, right? But uh, the the for I mean for the for the mass for the masses, uh, I wonder. You know, it's 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 a tool, but uh, without like a bit of a financial education, knowing that you have been spending uh, fifty euros last month in Starbucks. Uh, 
you know, it just tells you that you maybe you drink too much coffee or maybe yeah. you're a faithful Starbucks customers, but uh, you know what, what's in it. Right. So I wonder, you know, I, 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 by the way, Ellen, you told me that, uh, uh, you have, you, you're not a customer. Jazz, are you one? Uh, not, not of mints, but I, there's, there's a couple of PFM apps in the UK that I use. And I mean, look, this has happened in the UK before I used money dashboard, money dashboard went under. Um, yeah. I think if we brought more broadly, and I, I'll get to your point, like more broadly, if we look at PFM apps, I don't think anyone's nailed the financial model. That's been a big issue. And then when you go back to your point around, you know, you know, all it does is mainly give you info and there's a, there's a level of psychological guilting into budgeting as part of what they do with the no, with notifications is that lots of the PFM apps, you know, there's, there's transaction data and lots of the PFM apps sit in the information layer. They just give you they you know organize information second layer second layer of information organization for some categories they don't go to that knowledge level and that's that's the issue that most of these PFM apps have along with the financial model being tough and I always say most PFM apps aren't fully fledged propositions solving specific customer problems they're just a set of features that they're trying to pitch to customers to acquire customers but the financial model isn't there because. Even Mint, I think Mint and both Credit Karma use the referral mechanism. So you have a lot of customers in there. You have, let's say you have 100 million customers. They rely on customer switching. So switching current accounts, switching savings accounts, switching investment accounts. There's only a certain number of times a customer will switch different accounts every year. So there's always a ceiling to to kind of that um, customer lifetime value you can get out of out of everyone and it becomes difficult even at 100 200 300 million customers most of these apps become kind of difficult the economics become difficult and for me i think banks are going to just merge budgeting and pfm tools into account offerings and that will kill a lot of what we're seeing right now that that's what i see and so one one last thing i think as soon as intuit bought credit karma and then earlier in the year, they had a net worth feature rollout in February. They had this feature, which was like, oh, see your net worth. That was the end for Mint. They spent $7.1 on Credit Karma. They spent $170 million, million on Mint in 2009. And it's like, I use the old football analogy. If you buy a football player and you know he's the most expensive football player at your club, even if he's not as good as someone else, the expensive one is always going to play because there's pressure to make that work. And the person who's better, but maybe cheaper, is going to sit on the bench and then eventually they're going to be sidelined. They're not going to play again and they'll go to another club. The way this works is Mint can't be spun up and then sold to another organization because it looks bad for Intuit. So they've just decided, let's just pull everything over. And then there's another question about technical debt as well. You know, running two apps and two apps that do very similar things, but one has a you know credit and like clear monetary uh, path to path to profitability, and the other one doesn't necessarily. You're always going to pick the other one. That's yeah. Totally, I, I I agree with you that actually you know, and it's all, when when you compare like the the weights of the two players, you know, the the the, you know, the first one looked really I don't want to say neglectable, but you know the other way around would be way more worrying for uh, for Intuit. Okay, guys, let's move on to the to the next news. That's one typically is for Helen to start commenting. You know, our friend Sizi um, 
um, CZ from uh, uh, Binance, uh, uh, you know, step off. Uh, and um, you know, the, there is a there is a new CEO uh, played like uh, um, played guilty on different trials. So it's almost on one on one side, like on one side, like it's like an end of an era. But on the other side, it looks like uh, I mean, the comms that that came up from that news is that uh, Binance is now stronger, which for me, who is a little bit. Uh, yeah, man, not super inside the crypto space. Uh, looks a little bit weird. Uh, Helen, help me out here. Well, there are a few comments uh, I'm going to make here. The, the recent upheavals um, are a reminder that even in the space known for its volatility, stability and compliance are becoming increasing, uh, increasingly important, right? And uh, I would say that the recent event signaled a turning point for cryptocurrency, moving away from the wild fluctuations and controversies associated with certain figures or platforms. It could pave the way for a more stable, steady, and predictable market. The changes we're seeing the Binance, right, for those of you who know, I mean, and the challenges faced by SBF could bring about a period of consolidation and reflection in the crypto uh, space. I personally believe it's a chance for the industry to reevaluate practices and prioritize stability, long-term uh, sustainability. And the drama here uh, is an opportunity for crypto community to focus on building the trust and credibility, right? Personally, I'm a little bit gun shy about investing, you know, doing anything with crypto because of the recent event. Uh, I, I believe this could lead to increased institutional interest and adoption of cryptocurrencies once we have better trust and credibility there. I, I agree with you, Helen. Um, I, I guess, I, yeah, I'm just going to I'm just going to cross fire a question back to Helen, <laughs> guest the guest the guest panelist to panelist. Like I I see them as different. Like I think it's it's apples and apples and oranges comparing uh, comparing by now comparing SBF to CZ because it, lots of the wording in the press is they enabled they allowed whereas mm. with SBF and and FTX. It was very much a they he and they actively knew what was going on, and they were clearly you know siphoning money off, and it was a it was a very much an active crime rather than a look we should have done better we didn't have all these processes in place and that that's it seems like that's why he's stepping down and he admits look well, failures but I I didn't go out of my way to move all this money here and make sure that money came from Iran through our platform and then out the other end what do, what do you think about that. Well, there is a difference there. I think the the Binance situation is about the U.S., right? He, um, the CZ promised not to do any practice in the U.S., but he somehow uh, operated in U.S. from back doors, right? So that's where the issue is. And uh, FTX, obviously, we all know that was just pure fraud, right? So there is a you know difference, but you know both of them have violated their trust and credibility. I mean, I would say when it comes to trust and credibility, you, you can think about SECs going after him, not because of the the crime, but because of, you know, he really promised not to do any business or uh, operate in U.S., but he somehow did that. Uh, there's, a you know, enough of evidence to prove that it was, it, it took place. So uh, at least that was what, 
I read in the press, and I don't know the details. Um, but you know, no matter what, I think if we have walking the talk, right, as a leader and especially a CEO, and then that's important to you know for for the community for this community. Um, yeah, like and like you said, yeah, trust trust is key, um, especially in in this environment. And you know, you that's but I think that's why he's kind of front run it and gone. I'm going to step down. I'm happy with what we've done so far. Obviously, this excluded. And that's why I'm going to step back. Whereas, again, if you did a comparison, SPF was like, I've done nothing wrong. This is a witch hunt. Um, uh, I'm going to go out. I'm actually going to go out and do more meetings and talk about how I'm doing good and I'm disruptive. Whereas he's, I think he's taken the the like CEO, proper CEO position of, look, yeah, we messed up. I'm going to step back. Someone else will come in, put in some structure, and then we'll make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah. In, and in the meantime, uh, you know, for like uh, for an unexplicable reason, there is another sort of bull race uh, of crypto, you know, all of a sudden, you know, completely unrelated in uh, in a period where actually, you know, it should be very dark, you know, because uh, all these huge uh, crypto exchanges are having like a, a different kind of problems or, or I want to say um, like a resettling sort of uh, times. Uh, and you know you don't know why all of a sudden you know crypto is back again yeah i mean it's it's kind of weird sometimes this kind of news can uh bolster some communities thoughts on crypto and lots of people will double down and go this is why we need crypto because people should be able to move money wherever they want and the government shouldn't be getting involved so sometimes this kind of news is like right i'm actually doubling down now uh, it's kind of weird that, that sometimes there's just no logic to what's what's going on. <laughs> like totally. a piece of news that you think in a, in the in the stock market, if that news came out, you know, the share price would dive. And it kind of sometimes goes the other way in the crypto market. It's like sometimes it goes up. You're like this doesn't make any sense, but let's go totally. with it. Totally. But the entire the entire stock market does not follow whatever we learned at school, right? I mean, yeah. so it just has been in the past decade, um, the financial market has been interesting to say the least. In, you know, crypto is part of that too, yeah. Totally, totally. Okay, guys, back into the UK. Uh, so maybe, um, just you can start. Uh, so there is uh, some, uh, so the UK government, uh, announced uh, some sort of uh, uh I didn't understand it actually super well when I when I read the article but like a a, a big bank uh, a big bank in smart data usage right so as if open banking was uh, something new in the country you know so we've been talking about it for decades and all of a sudden uh, you know so what else is it that I am missing that uh, you know the UK government is launching yeah so I it's, I don't think it's necessarily a launch of anything. It's, it feels more like a, uh, well, how can we say it? Kick up the backside is <laughs> what you'd say in the UK. Because th there's been a bit of stagnation. I think there's there's been um, a bit of unclarity around the Open, bank, open Banking Implementation Entity, OBIE, which is now Open Banking Limited, I think. There's a, uh, there's a time frame around... The, the kind of renaming, repurposing of that entity, that that's still to happen. It's supposed to happen kind of now, and it still hasn't happened. And then in in um in the Chancellor, 
January, Jeremy Hunt's statement in autumn, he said, oh, we're, you know, we're outlining a smart data big bang. That's That was the quote in, in the document that they outlined. And so they're looking at all of all of the sectors. They're looking at financial services, health data, transport data, and like pulling this all together. Um, but there's no, there hasn't been a follow up statement. There's no policy there. There's still loads of things on the OBIE roadmap that haven't been done, and it, it's kind of like it feels like a press release, and then nothing will happen for a few months, and then people may forget about it, or maybe something will happen. So, but a press release without any tangibles is is nothing really. It's it's more we might do something, and then. Totally. Yeah, it's like, well, you might not as well. You didn't have to do a press release to say that you might do something. That's yeah. So it's, it doesn't seem like there's a there's a fully fledged plan there yet, but we might we might see one. That's the hope. And anything to anything to add, or you want yeah, to comment? I mean, personally, I'm a fan of open banking concept, right? Because it, it unlocks the wealth of opportunities for consumers and businesses by providing much greater access to financial data and think about it and enabling the tailored services and fostering competition among fintech companies. Uh, you know, it's um, obviously you need, that's a good intent. I, I do agree with Yasin, you, you need to have the details to back it up, but it takes time, right? And with that initial intent, uh, could um, this could make financial data more accessible and usable for both consumers and businesses aligned with ongoing digital transformation and enhance efficiency and convenience in the financial services. Uh, I do also think it could pave a way for more collaboration between traditional financial institutions and fintech companies, creating a more dynamic and innovative financial ecosystem in the UK. Yeah, I think I think since since 2018, so 2018 was the big, you know, e EU law was 2016. EU members had two years to implement it. 2018 was the formal launch of open banking in the UK. There was a huge boom of, th of things like Mint, for example, loads of PFM tools, some payments tools, and like I've been a big advocate of open banking for, for five six years, and I've worked with a, with a couple of great ones. But again, I think the government, the the top down policy early days was great and then up until recent recently it seems like it's petered off a bit so the so when the news came out i was like oh this is going to be really interesting and then you dive into it and you're like it's just it's just kind of a statement with no here's what we're going to do like we're going to expand the the account scope for example so uh, you know it's largely current account savings accounts some investment accounts then if you parallel it to 1033 in the us the new the new us proposal their account scope is huge their account scope is going to be wider than what we currently have right now. So the statement, it felt like, oh, we're going to increase accounts so you can have a proper single view of your financials. And like you said, you can then integrate, look, oh, I'm about to go on holiday. And then you have an insurance, um, integrated insurance pop up that says, oh, we know you use this insurance. You know, you're not covered for this country. You know, three clicks, buy insurance through a product, through an app. We can't get that because it's not that the account scope isn't broad enough. So I was hoping there'd be more of that. And to, to and make it really practical, you can't just have that in UK, right? A lot of these global banks, I mean, you cannot have 
comply, you know, the regulation in one country that's different from another one. And you, this is a global event and then requires the collaboration uh, among partners and then um, different countries. And that's why in, it, it takes forever to make things happen. Even for a sing, simple AI deployment, it could take years. Yeah, I, and, I, and I think that's why the 1033 proposal and potential for like some sort of socket, some like US, EU socket that means more financial data transferability. And one of the things I've outlined is tax. I, I, I imagine you have, you know, if you work anywhere outside the US, you have issues yeah. with, with the IRS. <laughs> I was like, that's one simple thing that, you know, US expats in the UK, having that interconnectivity of, of UK and US accounts through this, uh, you know, interoperable open banking network would mean that you could just calculate tax on the fly, connect your yeah. accounts, it does it for you. The IRS won't come knocking at your door and pull your bed sheets from under you and lock you up. You'll be, you know, you'll be kind of covered. Between you and me, it doesn't look like a big bang at all, by the way. But anyway. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a so, big bang. So, yeah. uh, guys, one, we, we, we have like literally a, a, a couple of minutes uh, left. But uh, um, so last and certainly not least, uh, only like a, a, a hint. Have you seen this, the, the, the TV show Silicon Valley? That, I think it was on Prime Video, not on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen this uh, this TV show, but it's a it's a mythical uh, uh, parody, you know, uh, of uh, anything that happens in a startup uh, in the in the valley, from you know like a hostile attack into like hijacking, uh, you know, the the founder shares uh, into like a bad behavior of the investor, you know, everything, and it's literally like. Uh, uh, each episode is a chapter of a term sheet. Okay, <laughs> so when I saw the the saga of Sam Altman and OpenAI, with that, that's exactly what the you know that I was immediately bounced back into the memory with the TV show. Don't you think, guys? It was in, it was incredible. You know, in five days, uh, everything happened at the opposite <laughs> of it, right, Ellen? You know, I don't have to watch the TV show because I, I lived through those saga personally, right? Having worked for many startups or uh, advised many of them, it's uh, quite interesting. You know, to me, this whole saga was a struggle between innovation and governance, right? The board obviously lacked commercial experience and you know grappled with concerns like data ownership and you know untested models bias detection and effective i would say altruism's influence on ai and then one interesting thing i don't know if you i mean what really happened for his return was because 702 employees out of the 770 signed the letter requesting for his return right because otherwise they would leave open AI. The board didn't even yeah. know that would happen when they made the decision, sudden removal of um, the CEO. It's just very interesting to me. How, how would you not know that or not anticipate that to happen? And also, you know, you know, the Sam's exit actually reminds me of Steve Jobs at Apple again, right? Knowing that was job. I mean, there, there's just a clash. You know, there's personality clash. There's you no know, motive clash. Obviously, they they started off as a nonprofit organization, then they added a profit arm later on. But you know, you need a, you need a 
more experienced board and who understand the the nuances of how you know how do you balance between innovation and uh, you know commercialization, and then you know that's really even though you want to remove CEO, it wouldn't be doing it that way, right? I think the the wording they use in the press is just shocking to me when I read that last time. I was like, what is this about, right? And then, so to me, it's like, you have to really, this is a kind of reminder, you got to have an experienced board and then you need to evolve your board as you, I would say also Sam needs to evolve them. I'm glad that happened. They need to, re, he should have done that, you know, updating the board before this event even took place. But I saw his returning is win for those seeking the swift de- development of artificial intelligence for sure. Yeah, I guess. I guess. The, yeah, my point of view is that. No, no, I mean, go ahead. I, oh, yeah, sorry. The, the first meme I thought of, like I did, I thought of some Silicon Valley memes, and the first meme I thought of when he left and he had his uh, guest pass when he came back. I guess he came back for some additional discussions. Was the the Wolf of Wall Street when he's about to announce that he's leaving? And he's yeah. like, you know, I've had a time. And then he, in his head, he's like, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. And then all of the employees start cheering. I can imagine when he came back five days later, November 17th, was he was fired. And then 22nd, he was back. That all the employees were like, yeah, he's back. But I, get, I think, Helen, you're right. The, the board, I think, I'm surprised that they're all still there, for starters. Because I think part of that open letter was, we want Sam back and we want all of the board gone. That, that was part of the open letter and all of the boards seem to still be there. There's also, I mean, there is also a big diversity question. There's no gender diversity on the board. So it, there's there's a few layers of issues there. Like, and it looks pretty, and it looks pretty like a fellow academic to me, the board, you know I mean? It's very, yeah. that that was also interesting, right? So the, 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 such a crucial decision to make by people who didn't seem very close to the business, but hey, you know, I was so, Super, like uh, I want to say, funny as well, you know, because uh, you know there are there are there are a lot of billions at stake. Uh, but from an outside point of view, they really I wanna I wanna say like uh, they Netflix Netflixized the, the thing, you know, because uh, yeah. every day literally there was a new news uh, coming up, right? Yeah. And Microsoft, right, uh, was part of this too. They actually hired, I mean, for those of you who don't know, they hired Sam and Greg for a, a few days. And then uh, it was quite, a, I would say, it was a very strategic move from Microsoft because they own 49% of the open AI anyways. And uh, so that actually accelerated this situation or accelerate his return in my opinion as well to a point to a point that one could even think hmm maybe it's a machiavellic uh, sort of uh, way to acquire open ai without paying for it or something right because <laughs> de facto you know you got most of the employees and the main brain you got the company right so yeah that was that was interesting guys our time our time is up thank you so much for uh Having shared your uh, uh, insights and wisdom on what's happening on the on the news, uh, yes, Helen, thanks a lot for being with us today. Well, thank you for having us. Such yeah, a pleasure brilliant. being nice here with you. Yeah, great to hear from you, Helen, as well, especially on the crypto stuff. That was that was really <laughs> interesting. Guys, that's episode two hundred five. News from the fintech front, and it's a wrap. 
Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.